Welcome to Poetry for the People. My name is Clinton Collister. And my name is Sarah Collister. We are recording in our new home in St. Andrews, Scotland. Woohoo! Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're excited about it. And we are presenting uh, a couple poems by Brett Foster and Chico Angioleri today. Uh, translated by Brett Foster. So I guess it's an all Brett Foster all the time podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, He's been a beloved poet of ours for several years. Several years, yes. We attended a conference at Calvin College a couple years ago. And I think that we had, had heard about Brett Foster before then, but at that conference, Christian Wyman read one of his poems and so did Scott Cairns. Mm. They were both friends with him. And it, it was a poem that he wrote as he was dying. It's a really moving poem. And, and so we're actually going to be sharing that one today. Yes. Thanks for tuning in. And if you would uh, be so kind as to subscribe to us on Patreon or um, listen to us on iTunes, we would very much appreciate it. Yes, we're very, very grateful for all of our supporters and the supporters of poetry out there. So let's get to it. Tongue is the Pen by Brett Foster Isaiah 43 I am making all things new or am trying to being so surprised to be one of those guys who may be dying early. This is yet one more earthen declaration, uttered through a better prophet's more durable mouth, with heart astir. It's not oath-taking that I'm concerned with here, for what's that worth? Instead, just a cry from the very blood, a good, sound imprecation to give the sickness and the shivering meaning. Former things have not been forgotten, but they have forgotten me. The dear, the sweet, the blessed pass, writes Bassini. Tongue is the pen. Donning some blanket of decorousness is not the prophet's profession, not ever. Not that I've tasted the prophet's honey or fire. I'm just a shocked, confounded fellow who's standing here pumping the bellows of his mellifluous sorrow. Yet sorrow's the thing for all prophets. Make a way in the wilderness, streaming your home studio-made recordings from a personal wasteland. These are my thoughts. I can't manage the serious beard. My sackcloth is the flannel shirt I'm wearing. But the short-circuited months have whitened my hair, and it's not for nothing that Geoffrey calls me, with affectionate mockery, the silver fox. It's a prerequisite. Finally, being a marginal prophet, but a severe attention to envisioned tomorrows must be present to, must be perceived as possible, audible, or followable. There is a hypothetically bright future for everything, each wounded creature that is bitten or bites. And speaking of things overheard, you heard it right. If I have to go out, I'm going to go out singing. So, we are going to be talking about Brett Foster and his poem, Tongue is the Pen, today. 
I really like Foster's work, and I like this poem a lot as well. As I mentioned earlier, Sarah and I first heard it when we were at Calvin College, and Christian Wyman introduced it before he read any of his own poems. He came up on stage and mourned the loss of Brett Foster. I think they knew each other when they were at Stanford, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Uh, Foster was a fellow there, I'm pretty sure, a a Stagner Mm -hmm. fellow. And, And Wyman said that at that time, a lot of people kind of looked askance at him because he was so focused on faith and spirituality mm. and and Wyman after after going through his own difficulties and travails and coming to faith said that in retrospect he thinks Foster had his eyes in the right place right he, so Christian Wyman editor of poetry magazine for a long time and, and a respected poet in his own right he came down with a, a really deadly form of cancer and he, he, during that time, tried to kind of figure out what, where he stood and what, what his purpose was and, and how, what he wanted to do with whatever amount of life he had left. Hmm. And he, he ended up actually writing a book about his um, conversion to Christianity called My Bright Abyss. And, and so this, the, the love that he had for Brett Foster and his poetry really came through in this introduction. And then he read a poem that Foster had published in Image Journal, and it's called Tongue is the is the Pen, and, and you know, it makes you think of the, the tongues of fire that came down at Pentecost when, when God sent the Holy Spirit to the, the Comforter to to be with his people and to lead them and guide them. Right? It's a very visceral title. I remember um, it kind of shocked the whole audience when he read it. Everyone gasped at the end. It, it just felt like one of those moments that was crystallized in time and kind of sent chills down every spine in the room. And it was very moving. And we found out that much like Christian Wyman, Brett Foster also had a very deadly form of cancer, but he uh, he was killed by it at the age of, I mean, he's in early 40s. Right? Yeah, he's just 42. Yeah, yeah, he was teaching at Wheaton College, mm-hmm. and um, he he suddenly came down with this disease, and, and he grapples with this in the poem yeah. in a really powerful way, right? You, you know, like, I may be one of those people who's dying early. Yeah. The, 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 but one of those guys. <laughs> one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. He he he's a little different, I guess, than a lot of the poets that we've featured in poetry for the people mm-hmm. because he he's not writing in the same sort of regular meter or rhyme schemes. That's true. That that you may come to expect. And it's more colloquial. I think he's using words like uh, "I'm trying to" and "guys" and a lot of enjambment. Um, talking about his a lot of you know conjunctions his, his ipod his stereo you know that's true yeah, yeah. and i i shared this with this poem with dan Rattel a couple weeks ago and he thought that the the rhythms sounded like they were influenced by t.s Eliot or something i could so, see that yeah definitely i think especially the use of there's a lot of internal rhyme 
Mm-hmm. Um, so when, or bent rhyme. So when there's words that sound like they could rhyme, but it's not intentional or exact, or maybe it is intentional, but it's not intentionally at the end of each line or it's not, right. there's not a pattern that it's, it's irregular. Following. It's irregular. Right. Um, but it's still very poetic. And, and I it kind of catches you by surprise. I think, um, it kind of adds to the visceral yeah. quality of the poem, right? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. So what, what, what lines really stood out to you in this one? Well, I think just from the get-go, um, he's quoting scripture, right? Right. And so I am making all things new or I'm trying to. So he's he's kind of putting scripture in his own words, paraphrasing um, something that we might as Christians be very familiar with, this idea of like a new creation, yeah. things being made God's new. God's renewing everything. Oh, but just trying to be part of that because I may also be be dying and and yeah. I'm having to grapple with my mortality as we all will at some point. I mean, we already are. Um, and so I like when he says that he starts to compare himself to somebody who is a prophet. Right. And, and not, he's not a very, he's good prophet. Right. He no, says, he's, he's um, not the most saintly or heroic. prophet. Right. Downing some blanket of, uh, decorousness is not the prophet's profession not ever not that i've tasted the prophet's honey or fire i'm just a shocked confounded fellow who's standing here pumping the bellows see fellow bellow that's kind of a nice rhyme that he throws in um of his mellifluous sorrow so he's got this this honesty to okay maybe i'm trying to serve as a prophetic poetic voice and isn't that cool but also it's really hard and it's really painful and um i'm I'm not doing a great job of it and And i might be dying early so who knows what will happen to these poems maybe they'll be unfinished maybe they'll fall into obscurity all these you know there's a lot of question to right what's what's the meaning of my life Um, in in, you know he kind of he compares himself to um john the baptist here right so yes going into the wilderness going into the wilderness (laughs) Wearing sackcloth, but not really. He's only wearing a flannel shirt. Right, right. That's his sackcloth in a sense. <laughs> but, but, but. Uh, also, I mean, John the Baptist. He he has an energetic go of it. Repent, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, people are coming to be baptized to to have their lives renewed. Yes. But then, you know, things kind of go sideways, and he ends up in prison, and he. Sending one of his disciples to find out. Maybe it's out. not what he expected his life would be, right, be right. about. And, yeah. it's, is this Jesus really the Messiah? Because things don't look like they've gotten better from this right. prison cell. And I, I don't know. I think he's kind of grappling with that now and yet, not yet mm. aspect of faith, right? So, so having this, this hope that things are going to be redeemed and life is purposeful and meaningful and good, but then also, you know, like, well, sometimes cancer happens right. and yeah. you have a family that you love and it's just painful, painful. And it says, uh, he says, there's a hypothetically bright future for everything. Each wounded creature that is bitten or bites. Right. Um, that's an interesting turn there. Bitten or bites. The idea that um, whether you are trying to be, the best and most moral person you can possibly be, or whether you're someone who is depraved, like the, the redemption is for all of us. Um, and we equally all deserved. Yeah. Equally. Uh, there's nothing we could do to earn. Equally earn undeserved. Undes- or equally undeserved. Right. And 
just a blessing really. Yeah. And I guess it does, this poem really gets at our creatureliness too, right? It does. Uh, uh, this week I came down with labyrinthitis and, and, you know, I couldn't like stand or, or walk without falling down. And I didn't know, yeah. is this a migraine? Am I having a stroke? What is going on here? It was terrifying. And yes. it really shows the sort of awe and fear of our creatureliness, right? Mm. I, like I, on my own, am vulnerable in that state and don't know what's wrong with me or what I can do to improve my situation. And so you're kind of just dependent on the, you know, the body that God has given you and the people around you who are trying to help you. And it really, I guess we're all just very vulnerable and this poem gets at that. Mm. Uh, And like going back to the idea that, um, yeah, trying, like how sometimes we become, um, we, we, we revert back to a maybe baser state. He ends by saying he's going out singing this idea that like... Oh, can you read those, those yeah. last few lines? I love those uh, lines. And speaking of things overheard, you heard, right? If I have to go out, I'm going to go out singing. Yeah. Um, just that's something that creation does, um, whether that's the wind in the trees or the songs of the birds, um, the ocean, the sound of the ocean, like the greatest thing we can add to that maybe is our own voice of praise right. to the creator for being created. And yeah, I, I really like that idea of going out singing, even though life has maybe not been what he expected. And it's, it's, it's such a good contrast when people think of poems about death, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, th- you think of Dylan Thomas. Right. You, yeah. You, you know, uh, do not go gentle into that good night. Right, exactly. This sort of holding on, um, nail and tooth to, to clinging to life in the sort of desperation and fear of the darkness. But but I mean, even though rage against the dying of ra- the light, ra- rage against the dying of the light, right? But even though Foster doesn't, you know, you know, obviously has a distaste for death and pain in this poem. There's still faith, hope, and love as he's singing, uh, yeah. and I think that's powerful. But the, the, the lines about his home stereo—what does that say exactly? Make a way in the wilderness, screaming your home studio-made recordings from a personal wasteland. Well, as people with our own podcast, maybe we can also <laughs> really relate to that. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well. We we actually gave ourselves a, a Christmas present and ordered Brett Foster's latest yes. collection of poems. It has a great title, Extravagant Rescues. And, and that's a posthumous collection that just came out this past year. So we're looking forward to reading those as soon as they arrive. And if you enjoyed his poem, maybe that would be something you would invest in for your own library. Definitely. Definitely. Um so next, we're looking forward to reading one of Brett Foster's translations. He was a scholar of Italian poetry, and we're going to be reading a poem by one of Dante's contemporaries. Giulieri. Yes. We had to look up how to pronounce that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crash and Burn 
by Jaco Angioleri, translated by Brett Foster. I can feel my heart trembling in my chest. So fierce is my fear and hesitation whenever I see my lady in the flesh, and great is my fear of irritating her. In that moment, I can't speak a single word. So thoroughly are my natural skills abandoned that I consider it a great reward when I can trust my feet to keep me standing. Until I get over feeling woozy, everyone who sees me walk around says, look at that guy. He's dazed and confused. And I don't flip them the bird or rain down obscenities since reason smiles on their abuse. In no time at all, I've fallen to the ground. Francisco Angelieri was born in 1260. He is um, obviously an Italian poet, and he was known for being of a very prominent noble family, the Senese family. Um, it sounds like he was a bit of a ruffian in his youth. <laughs> <laughs> he got fined a lot of times for deserting the battlefield, for... Um, violating curfew for, I don't know, just being, I think, a bit of a juvenile delinquent. He's most known for his connections with Dante Alighieri, who we know from the divine, the writer of the Divine Comedy. Um, both of them were political exiles and obviously poets, and they wrote um, poems that, well, I think Chico references Dante, and there's they don't have evidence of this, but they believed that they actually had a pretty vibrant correspondence yeah, as well. They, they were had a friendship when they were younger and then it a kind falling of falling out maybe falling out as they aged. And and doesn't he say something in one of his poems about being the, the, the rod that I'm the cattle prod that drives your ox. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess every poet needs a cattle prod. I guess, yeah, you know, some, so people, to speak. Some, some people are motivated by competition. And so I, it appears that Angelari thought that was the case with Dante. I guess that, I mean, is it really, does, is he really saying that he's competing with Dante or is it more like he's putting bringing, himself in? Bringing up the rear. <laughs> or putting himself in reference to Dante so that he can be remembered. Who knows what his I motives know. were. But yeah. Um, yeah, he died in 1302 and left behind 110 sonnets, uh, one of which we are reading and discussing today, Crash and Burn. I love Brett Foster's translation of this. I think it's so great. It translates really well to modern themes and modern people. I think it's really, really fun. And yeah, I, th I think so. And I think it has that same tendency to, to take really um, powerful emotions like the fear of death, or in this case, the feeling of romantic love Hmm. And put them into to colloquial speech, into language we can all understand. And yes, and, and which is something imagine, this, this podcast is about, right? Right. And appreciating poetry as it can be read for all people and understood for all people. So. Yes. So, so I don't know. The, that's one of the things that immediately stands out to me. You have the Richard Linklater title. Dazed and confused as one of the lines. Yep. But but, but it, look at that guy. He's dazed and confused. But he but he pulls it off. You know. Yeah. Like it, it's not cheesy. No. I think it's actually just a lot of fun. Um, right. So again, very visceral themes. Uh, you've got this 
trembling in his chest when he sees the lady in the flesh and uh, he can't even imagine speaking a single word to her and he starts to feel woozy. And, um, we get one of the great lines, even though people might say about him, look at that guy, he's dazed and confused. I don't flip them the bird or rain down obscenities since reason, capital R, smiles on their abuse. Right. I, I, li I like that part that there is a sort of foolishness to love. Mm. And so reason is on the side of the people who look at him and think, what a, what a fool. What an idiot. Yeah. You know, what's he doing? You know, he just needs to chill out. And, and I, I like that, that uh, Angelari recognizes that that's the case. It, at least his speaker does in this poem. And yet the speaker still persists in loving. Right? Yes. And I think the title captures that, that, foolishness or the folly of love very well crash and burn right when we hear the phrase crash and burn what do we modern people think of i think we think of airplanes yeah that uh, just a total destruction right. right but in this case um what is the crash and burn of the crash and burn i think is actually like a, a man who's so head over heels that it will like knock him off his feet mm. he, he's so enamored that he can't even speak to the woman, right? His, well, his... and at the end, he literally does fall to the ground, right? Um, out of wonder at his lady, and this is a very classical subject, right? Um, well, and for the period, the sort of Dantean view of Beatrice. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, and um, what is it, uh, Laura? And oh, who's the poet who writes about? His Laura, um, Petrarch. Yes. Yeah, Petrarch writes about this this woman who he may never actually end up dating or marrying, but just inspires him endlessly yes. um, to think on beautiful, pure, divine, even divine things. Right. Um, this guy, I don't know, is he motivated by the purity of love in the same way Dante and Petrarch are, or is it? I think he's in, in the. the I think he's working in that same tradition. It, it seems like to me. You don't think so? Yeah. No. I think. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, and obviously, this woman inspired a great poem, right. and that's that's an idea that we can relate to. So, oh, bless you. Thank you. I'm still getting over the labyrinthitis. I apparently. Oh no. Yes. That's rough. Um, anything else you'd like to say about this poem? No. I. I mean, I just. I'm delighted when whenever I go read Brett Foster. So I yeah, let's talk about the translation. Uh, what is that process like? Do you think for someone like Brett Foster, um, taking a poem and having to read it in another language and translate it for modern peoples? Well, I'm in a class right now where we're reading Rilke. Yeah, and our professor knows German, and so she's oftentimes going back to the text and saying, ah, you can more precisely hmm. translate this word as this rather than this. And I imagine, just based on the colloquial speech in this poem, somebody who is an Italianist might go through and say, well, you, if you're just going for word-to-word -word precision, precision mm. you, you could tinker with this or make some changes. But I think that you know, from, from what I can tell, it, it really captures the spirit of the poem and it comes alive in our contemporary speech. Uh, right. So I, think, I like it. I think that it makes it kind of timeless. Um, 
a good translation shouldn't be so fixated on one specific point of period in, in time, but if the poem is good, it will endure past that period and it can translate to other periods without losing its integrity. And so I think, I think he does a good job of kind of walking. It's a fine line to walk because if you go too far in one direction, you end up just sounding like an old person who's trying to relate to a teenager and right. use the hip lingo that kids these days yeah. use. And that's not good. But if you go too far in the other direction, it can be really dry and it doesn't translate and, and it sounds like, okay. oh, we're just reading a poem from the 13th century and that's really boring and um, different than Dante in that I think maybe he's more for the the common person. Hilary, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The common reader, although maybe that's a controversial, controversial opinion to have. I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our latest episode of Poetry for the People. We always enjoy I don't know, getting together and, and picking out poems, picking and all out that. poems, yeah. and, and we want to give a special thanks to our Patreon supporters who um, give us the ability to fund this endeavor and to to bring this podcast to you every month. And we really enjoy we really enjoy the process, and so it could it wouldn't be possible without without your support. Definitely, and and actually, we're going to send out. One of my original poems this week for for our Patreon supporters exclusively. So mm-hmm. if you're interested, in if you're in interested, on that. that that's that's a possibility. Mm. Also, I wanted to mention big news. Th- big news that I am very grateful for all the people who helped me put out a little anthology of poetry this this last month. So the collection is called "The Slumbering Host" and it features. A couple of my favorite poets, and and you know many many poets who I admire, but but um t- two poets who have had a significant impact on me, J- James Matthew Wilson and David Middleton, hmm. both contributed poems that kind of bookend the anthology, and and then there there are just delightful poems from Marley Yeoman, Sally Thomas. My, my, my friend Daniel Rattel. I have a couple poems in there. It has a beautiful cover on it that was designed by one of your friends, one of our friends here in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. One of the members of my cohort, David Ballas, designed the cover. It's it's very, I, I don't know, William Morris kind of style. <laughs> and and I, I, I hope you'll pick up a copy and sh- share The Slumbering Host with your friends. But but it, it was a, a lot of fun to make. And it's I just feel really blessed that yeah. so many poets I admire contributed. Thank it was you. It's a great Christmas present, I think, for us. Yes. The last day of Christmas, receiving news that, that was going to be published. So, definitely. Very exciting. All right. Well, go in peace. We'll see you next time. <laughs>